0: For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Those are verses 11 to 15 of Psalm 25, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, May 2nd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We are continuing our look at the book of Daniel. Uh, he's going to interpret a dream that had been told to him by Nebuchadnezzar uh, a second, for a second time. Uh, also, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter four, verses fourteen to thirty, and in the Epistle, First Epistle of John, chapter three, verse nineteen through verse chapter four, verse six. So the, as I said, the There's been a dream shown to Daniel to interpret for uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar. So then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that's the name given to him in Babylon, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. It's not a safe thing to give a king bad news. You'll see that with Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, in the first chapter, he prays that he would have favor with the king, and he shows up before the king, and he said he's afraid because he had never looked sad in the king's presence. And so what you see in that is, is that is that you're never intended to look sad in the presence of the king because he should bring delight just being in his presence. So he took a risk in being sad before the king because he could have been... Killed uh, at at worst, and and certainly fired at at best. And you see the Chaldeans when they come before Nebuchadnezzar, they begin everything they say with, um, "O oh Lord, the king, live forever." And so Daniel and his companions don't do that. Whenever we see them interacting with the king, they don't they don't make any deferment at all <laughs> to the king. They they're not afraid of this. So here he allowed himself to be dismayed and to look dismayed, and the king said, "Don't worry about it. Don't let it. Don't let it alarm you." And so Belteshazzar answered and said, "My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies." And, and what he's saying here is, I mean, this is bad news for the king. The the dream and interpretation are. So what he's saying at the beginning of this is, is that that I th- and I think it's genuine that that he w- would rather. That this not be a word for him, for the king, rather that it would be a word against the king's enemies. And so he begins his, in that way, and basically he's saying, it gives me no pleasure to say this. I wish it were for somebody else. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. So that was the vision the king had seen in the dream. It's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. So th- that part of the dream, certainly, it's, it's, it's the recognition of the greatness of the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar has created here in Babylon. And because the king saw a watcher, now the watchers are, are, relate back actually to um, the time of the flood, the watchers and the holy ones are there. So these are angels, but but there's something a little different about the watchers as well. And it's some of the watchers who fall. They have some dominion of their own, because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, "Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze." in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him so there's judgment coming against this um this tree that grows into the heavens and stretches out to the ends of the earth there's judgment come against it and it's to be chopped down but the stump "...of the roots are to remain in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze." The intention is not to root out the stump. It's to provide a possibility for new growth. He says, "...this is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field." You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you'll be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. In other words, there's a pride that's coming in and that pride has to be dealt with because glory has to be given to the one who does rule all things and and who gives those thrones to those whom he chooses. And And basically what he's saying is you're going to lose your mind. You're going to absolutely lose your mind. You're, you're going to be completely uh, befuddled about everything in the world for a period of time, for seven years. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now, Daniel, that's a huge risk for Daniel to take. Listen to my counsel. Break off your sins and your iniquities. He's telling him, you know, you're not perfect. There are some things about you that are displeasing to the Lord, and those are going to have to be dealt with, and they're going to be dealt with, but it's for your good that you might have the kingdom restored to you. He's not tearing it away from you permanently. You're being given an opportunity to become the right kind of man. And the right kind of man is one who realizes that he is in submission to another king. And that king is the Lord. And until you see that and understand that, you can't possibly be king. But what it says is, there, it, it, the, it's a prophetic word that, will, that says, essentially, that there will come a time when it's restored to you but only when you recognize him. In the uh, gospel today, Jesus um, has has called his disciples, and and now he's begun the ministry, and he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. So in other words, there's a buzz. People are beginning to talk about what they've seen and what they've heard in Jesus. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he's moving about the region. Galilee is a region. So he's moving about that region, going to different places. And then he comes to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. So he's come into his hometown. But there's a report about him, obviously, that's gone out. And it's all good. Everybody has had good things to say about him with his healing, with his teaching, with all that stuff. And then he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So because he is there's a buzz about him he's the hometown boy made good because of that he would have been asked to read and to speak in the temple in the synagogue sorry in in Nazareth and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is a Anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor—it's a a jubilee year, but it's an extraordinary jubilee year because it's God's jubilee. It's more than just the returning of land to people who have an ancestral claim to it. No, this is this is literally the, the the fullness of the kingdom being brought to bear healings and all those things happening and they've already seen some of this that's the word that's gone out that he's been doing these very same things he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down so the way it works in a synagogue is you stand to uh, read the word and then you sit to teach and there's a there it's essentially saying that that the the word of god it's so important that everybody has to stand for it, but, but the words that I bring to the table are of lesser importance than, than the Word of God, and so I sit to teach. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They, they would have had great expectation for this hometown boy made good that everybody had heard about, and his fame was going all throughout the region. They, they would have, have had great anticipation for what he was going to say about that, because he had already done some of the things that are described in the passage. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So what he's proclaiming is, today is indeed the year of the Lord's favor. Today, right now, in your midst, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That This messianic hope is being fulfilled today. And what he's saying is he's throwing down a marker and saying, watch see if i don't do these very things this will this will be exactly what my ministry is just keep your eyes on me and so he he dares them to keep an eye on him and so initially all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth he is everything we've heard of we've, we, everything we've heard about him seems to be true and then they said and this is not in the first two words are not Uh, The first couple of words are not in the text. Wait a minute. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Wait a minute. We know this guy. We've known him for years. He's been here for decades. Who's he think he is? He said to them, doubtless, you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard it, you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Notice that there's always, they're always willing to to say, oh, okay, if you do these things, we'll believe. If you do these things, we'll believe. If you do these things, we'll believe. And then they don't. And so they've heard all these things, and what they want to see now is evidence in their own eyes that he's going to do these things. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to not, not none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. So what he's saying here is, is that, that Elijah was a prophet to Israel, and when he prophesied this famine would come because of the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel, that in in the time of that famine, Elijah, that prophet who 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 called that into being, wasn't sent to anybody, no widows, no orphans in the land, but he was sent to Zarephath, and where is Zarephath? Well, it's a little north, and it is the land from which Jezebel actually hailed, and so it, it, it's a pagan land. So in the time of famine in the in the area. Elijah is not sent to the widows in Israel. No, he's sent to a widow up in Jezebel's hometown. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed. But only Naaman the Syrian, Naaman the Syrian, remember, he commander of the army of Syria, had taken into captivity as a slave a young Jewish girl to serve his wife. She sees that he's a, that he suffers from leprosy, and says. You should go to Israel. There's a man there, there's a prophet there that I've heard about who, who can heal you. And so he went. He didn't like the healing, uh, the treatment that was prescribed for him, which was to go wash in the waters of the Jordan and his, you know, aren't the, the rivers in Syria better than, the, than this one? Why in the world is this the thing? He didn't come out. I thought he'd wave his hand over this stuff and, and he would say some stuff and it would go away. I thought that's how he was going to heal, but he didn't heal me the way that he said he was going to heal me. So I'm going to fuss about the proposed cure until finally somebody says, well, if he gave you something hard to do, you'd do that, wouldn't you? So go give it a shot. So he does, and he's healed. And he comes to be a believer out of that. Sometimes we don't like the cure <laughs> that's proposed. We, we don't like the way God does things, right? We don't like the timing in which He does those things, and so we fuss against that, and we fuss about all things because of that. and And what He's saying, what Jesus is saying here, is is that that they wouldn't come to Elijah, the the people there wouldn't come to the prophet, and so he was sent then up out of the land. And the same with with Naaman, he, you know. There, could have, there should have been a line of lepers standing outside Elisha's house looking for a cure, right? Um, it, it, that's the problem, was there was no faith. And it was the faith of the people that kept them from being healed. It was the, faith, it was the unfaith of the people uh, that kept them from being healed. It was, the, it was the lack of faith among the people that kept them coming from Elijah. Because he went up to Zarephath, and the famine was as bad there. But God used him to provide for the widow and her son during that entire time. And, and so Jesus is basing his statements in, yep, it was the lack of faith among God's people. And, and you're, he's saying, you don't have any faith either. And the proof is, is that you immediately turn this into, well, who's his daddy? And so you don't have any faith because of what you know. <clears throat> when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they, because he, they realized he was talking about them and saying, you don't have any faith. And you're rejecting me. He was first rejected in Nazareth, in his hometown, was the first place he was rejected. And that rejection is going to spill over, obviously, uh, into the entire land. They were filled with wrath and rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They would have killed him then. But passing through their midst, he went away. And what it could have said was because his time had not yet come and this was not the way it was going to go down, (laughs) then it didn't happen that day. But but you, you see the anger of these people turned against him because he dared speak a word against them. But well, you know, at some level you could say, well, they started it because they, they marveled at the things they had heard about and they marveled at what they heard coming from him. And then somebody introduces this weird discordant note of, wait a minute, that's Joseph's boy. Where did that come from and why did that become the thing that overwhelmed their budding faith? It's a very strange thing, but, but we can see that same thing happening. We can, we can doubt the uh, proof of our eyes. I mean, I, I've seen people healed. I know that God heals today. I know God does all kinds of things today. I don't doubt that at all, but, but we can doubt things. We, we can see it. We can rejoice in it, and then later we can second-think it and overthink it and decide, nope, that can't be right. And we've got to guard ourselves against that. We have to trust the evidence of our eyes. In the uh, epistle today, John's assuring the people that he's to whom he's writing that that it was okay to let those other people go because they were bringing a false gospel and a false Christ. And so it's okay for them to go, and they claim to have specific knowledge from God, special revelation, and, and what he's saying is, is that, no, you don't need special revelation. I'm going to tell you where that special revelation comes from. He says, by this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our hearts before him, for whenever our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart and he knows everything. So don't allow conviction to become condemnation. Conviction of sin is intended to lead you to repentance, Condemnation says there's nothing possible. You're beyond hope. Uh, And so he said, don't go there. Don't allow that. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So keeping the commandments of God are to believe in his son, in the name of his son, God saves, and love one another just as he commanded us. And so these are the things that we have to do. And if we're doing those things, then our hearts won't condemn us, and he'll give us the things we ask for, partially because we'll ask rightly. We will ask rightly. We'll ask in accordance with God's plans and his will. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he's given to us. So if you're doing these things, if you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and you love one another, then the spirit will abide in you. Beloved, don't believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's funny, because I've been in the church a long time now, and what's interesting to me is, is that, that if you question somebody, then, then actually it's turned on you. I've seen it too many times. I've had it happen to me, on more than one occasion, when, when I knew that I knew that I knew that, that all that glittered wasn't gold and said, you know've got, I've got a hesitation here about this. I'm not sure about what we're what we're doing and what the course of action is and why this person is being raised up. I, I have some question about that. And nobody likes that. They think you're a naysayer, they think you're jealous, they think you're whatever. I had a conversation with somebody one time that the the most difficult gift of all to receive from the Lord is discernment. Because if you have discernment and nobody else does, you just become a pariah. You absolutely become a pariah, and and you, you get more accustomed to keeping your mouth shut because the price of speaking out can be very high. It can cost you deeply and dearly if you speak out about those things, So test the spirits, though. It's important that we do that, for many false prophets have gone out into the world and still are. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confessed Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And remember what I've told you about the the false teaching that's come into this place, and that is that Jesus really was a spirit, and he was not really a man. So they're denying that part of Jesus's existence. They're denying the dual nature of Christ. It's Nestorianism, um, that, that whole idea of the dual natures. It, it, it's, it's an old, old heresy. And so that Jesus coming in the flesh, John says, is, is truly important. And, and you can see it in John's gospel right from the beginning. You know, the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. I mean, John, in this epistle, says we have seen, we have heard, we have touched. He's real. He wasn't just some apparition walking among us. No, he was in the flesh. And it's important that he come in the flesh because he's coming to redeem it. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And, and so what he's saying is those people that have come and tried to stir you up and, and tried to deny the gospel of Jesus coming in the flesh, mm-hmm. they that's the spirit of Antichrist. It denies the coming in the flesh of the Lord Jesus. And so you, 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 know, you have the Spirit of God in you, and you knew better than that, and you stood against that. You've overcome them, and the proof is they're gone. <clears throat> they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. They're, it's a worldly wisdom that they're claiming to have uh, the revelatory source being God. He says, no, 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 they're from the world, and therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. They deceive those people. And, and we see that. I, you, I see it today. I see, let's say, popular preaching sometimes, which which gathers people and tickles their ears. I, I had a lady uh, two years ago when I was working with Amazon, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and she called, and, and we talked for a little while, and, and because it was that time of life. Everybody wanted to talk about the pandemic. And so she told me that she thought it was going to be gone by Easter time. And, and you know, a lot of people felt that way. A whole lot of people believed that Easter was going to be the resolution of that whole situation. And then she began to tell me about a popular preacher that she'd begun listening to about 18 months before and had read literally all of his books and listened to him every chance she had to hear him and was looking forward to hearing him with Kanye, actually, um, in, in Yankee Stadium which ended up being canceled because of the pandemic. But then she said, you know, the thing is, um, I don't know what to make of Jesus. Because, well, you know, some people claim that he's this and some people claim that he's that. And I, I, I said, ma'am, I, I don't have any choice. I have to do this. I have to say the thing that I have to say next. And that is that, that I'm really sorry that in 18 months you haven't been confronted with the necessity of deciding what to make of Jesus. Because it's the only important question you'll ever answer in your whole life. And you've got to answer that question. You can't leave it unanswered. Because if you do, then you're going to end up in a bad place. If something happens to you, you will not be in heaven. And I'm sorry that the person you're listening to hasn't confronted you with the necessity of, of making that decision now. But it, it's, it's so typical. You know. We don't want to confront people. We don't want people to be uncomfortable. And we don't want them to have to make a decision well, they do. Jesus never, ever gave them options to not make that decision, and it's exactly what Daniel had to do. He had to speak an uncomfortable and an unpleasant truth to a king, and, and that's what John says, is that the world listens to them because they're of the world. Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel. He made a wrong decision. He says, we are from God, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement to say these people are of the world. We are from God, and we know that. We stand in it because we confess the truth. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's something that we, the church, need to be really good at, is knowing the spirit of truth and the spirit of error and the difference between the two and following after the spirit of truth.